Before we get started this week, I just want to give you guys a quick disclaimer that we did have some issues with the microphone. So within the first three to four minutes, it might sound a little bit weird, and then um, it kind of evens itself out. But the you'll definitely notice a difference in the sound quality, and I just want to apologize for that. That was my fault on my end. But I also want to tell you guys about this spring where Cowtown becomes Chowtown, and it's all thanks to the Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival. With six events between April 4th and 7th, the festival features a talented roster of chefs and food artisans, as well as craft brewers and distinctive vintners. They all bring a range of tastes, styles, and methods that reflect the taste of the city itself. But it's more than a good time. It's a good cause. With proceeds supporting local grant programs and culinary scholarships, Tickets get you all you can eat and drink from the best chefs in Fort Worth and beyond. And this year brings two brand new ways to experience the festival. The Culinary Corral, a four-hour celebration of the best of the fest, and the Ring of Fire Next Level Cookout, a live fire and live music event. Buy tickets today and learn more about the festival at fwfw.com. That's fwfwf.com. The link is also in the description for this episode. You'll find that most um, breweries kind of have that model as well, right? You, you don't want to go do a <clears throat> completely unknown experiment on, on your big system and have to dump a thousand gallons of beer down the drain because it didn't turn out. The recipes that I write uh, or that I, you know, form the base idea for, those probably have a little bit of a, a special place in my heart. Nick and I have been putting together a, a list of styles that we haven't even attempted yet and um, you know, we're going to be spending the next couple of months brewing a lot of pilot batches and you know, trying to find that next beer that is going to be a hit. You are listening to Fort Worth Food Stories, brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Alright, welcome to Fort Worth Food Stories. I'm your host James Crange. Today I am joined by Sean Kidwell the owner and head brewer for Cowtown Brewing Company, and Nick Stoltz, the lead brewer for Cowtown Brewing Company. Thank you guys so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And I guess we should direct, differentiate the names here, right? So, uh, Sean, if you'll just say, hey, I'm, I'm Sean. <laughs> hey, I'm Sean. I'm glad to be here. Hey, I'm Nick. Also glad to be here. <laughs> there we go. I don't... You guys do kind of sound similar, so I hope, uh, <laughs> I hope people figure it out at That's some point. <laughs> uh, but you guys, you've been open for a few months now, so let's just start off. How's business going? Really well. Um, we opened on October 12th, um, and you know, by all accounts, we're ahead of schedule. Um, we're definitely exceeding our projections for the uh, first few months that we've been open. Um, you know, the reception by the community has been tremendous. Um, you know, both by the immediate neighborhood that we're in and the greater Fort Worth community, it's uh, been really exciting to um, see this kind of blossom finally. And um, we've met a ton of great folks that have been through the brewery. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. And how did the two of you connect uh, together? So uh, I actually met Sean at a, a Texas Craft Brewers Guild meeting at the collective, also in Fort Worth. Um, I have been in the process of opening a place of my own and he was opening a place, so I was asking him tons of questions and uh, he was nice enough to answer all of those for me. And um, I guess 
in the process of asking those questions, uh, he got it in his head that he might uh, like me to come work there. I used to work at a, a brewery in Irving called uh, Twin Peaks. Um, and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, working at, at Cowtown now. A lot more creativity um, and free range to, to do awesome stuff. Sure. And, and I want to, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, but I, I definitely want to jump into the, the different beers you guys have. We're sitting here drinking a spalt beer, right? Yep. Um, awesome. Awesome one. I, I love, I think I've tried the entire collection of, of what you have, um, but you guys have an awesome space. And I think that's a really cool part about a brewery is, you know, you don't want to go somewhere where you don't have a nice space. So was it important for you guys to have, and, and probably this is more directed to you, Sean, but was it important to have that inside as well as the outside with the patio? It, it definitely was. Um, that was one of the first things that attracted us to that building um, when we found it was that large outdoor space in the back. Um, you know, you probably wouldn't even recognize what it was before we put the deck in and all that stuff. There was a pretty steep slope coming off the building going down to that lower level. and. Um, but we saw a lot of potential there and, and um, you know, quite honestly, that deck has become a, a real focal point for a lot of our customers. Um, and we can definitely tell um, when the weather's bad, um, our business slows down significantly because, we, you know, you can't be out there on that deck. And so I think as uh, we, we get into spring, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of traffic out there um, you know we have plans for you know doing events and, and things of that nature out there as well and, and it really with those back doors that open up you've been there right those and once those open up that whole deck kind of becomes part of the indoor space too and um, and really just livens the place up so yeah it's, it was huge for us so you had brought up the uh, weather being a concern in terms of rain are you worried at all about the summertime uh, with people being too hot out there, or do you have uh, measures built? Actually, not at all. Um, it, it's a it's a pretty cool um, circumstance the way our building is situated. That backyard faces east, right? So usually by four o'clock in the afternoon, that whole deck is covered in shade because the sun is dropping behind the building, um, and for you know. The wind never stops blowing in Fort Worth during the summer, so you got a little breeze going, and you got shade, and it, it can literally be 110 on the front side of the building, and you know 90 in the back, um, and not feel like that because it's, it's super comfortable. So I was gonna say 90 is still pretty hot. Yeah, <laughs> when you're in the shade and you got a breeze blowing, and you're just coming from 110, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and as long as there's beer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick, when did you start brewing? How long have you been doing this? Um, so professionally, I've been brewing maybe two years, um, but I've been brewing um, since 2006. Um, I used to be in a band. Uh, I came home from a tour one time. I was unemployed. I was staying at a friend's house, and I actually don't remember how I got my hands on the kit. I don't know if somebody bought it for me or if I bought it for myself, but I was trying to find a way to pass the time. Um, I made my first batch of beer, and I was just fascinated by the science of it. Um, and so I didn't brew a ton for a long time. 
probably 2012, 2013, I started picking up. Then in 2015, I really started getting serious about, hey, I need to create recipes. I want to open a place, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so I've been going full speed at, at that since then. So you guys were both home brewers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what, tell me about some beer that you brewed that was just awful. Like an idea you had that just turned out really poorly. Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember any. <laughs> so I had a beer that unfortunately started out amazing, um, but I neglected it for a very long period of time, and uh, it ended up getting ruined. Uh, it was an IPA. It was actually a clone of uh, Ruthless Rye by Sierra Nevada. Um, I actually think this beer turned out better than their beer, uh, but I just left it in the fermenter. I left it in the fermenter for probably six months, and it was actually still great, but I still continued to leave it in the fermenter, and just after a while, it just it just lost everything. <laughs> um, so that, that was probably my biggest disappointment. Yeah, I, the reason I asked that is uh, one of my friend's dads um, back home, um, he and I, you know, we get along real well, and, and he's a home brewer. And uh, I always tease him if there's a beer I don't like, you know, I'm like, oh, you'll, you know, you'll get them next time. So I want to hear, I want him to hear from some professionals that, you know, you do screw up once in a while. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what, um, uh, that's how great beers happen, right? You experiment, you, you get an idea, you go try and execute it. And, you know, sometimes it turns out exactly the way that you plan. Sometimes it, it turns out completely different than what you planned. And that's not always a bad thing. Um, but uh, that's how you you push the envelope with with new beer flavors, and um, you, you just got to experiment. So we, you know, you've seen our system in the brewery, right? The big tanks and mm-hmm. whatnot. We have a little, like one tenth scale, um, pilot system where we do recipe development, and every time we get a crazy idea, we'll pull a recipe together and we'll brew it on a small scale. So if it doesn't turn out the way we want it. You know, we don't have very much invested in it, or we learn a lesson and go back and you know make some tweaks and try it again. And um, you'll find that most um, breweries kind of have that model as well, right? You, you don't want to go do a <clears throat> completely unknown experiment on on your big system and have to dump a thousand gallons of beer down the drain because it didn't turn out. So um, you know, we, did, we we've got a little test kitchen where we we, we knock those things out and. If they turn out, uh, you know, close to the way we plan, then we scale them up and we brew them on the big system. And oftentimes, <clears throat> brewing brewing them on the big system, they'll, they'll even turn out better because there there's so many efficiencies um, built into that big system that we don't have in the small system. That um, that that small system gives us an idea, and then the big system really confirms, you know, that we we hit our mark. So. And do you have any difficulty with scaling those recipes? Mm, not usually. Um, it, it is the trickiest part of moving a recipe up to, to full production. Um, you know, it's interesting. We talked about, uh, before we started, the, the resilience beer and the fact that 1,500 breweries across the country brewed it on the same day, right? Same recipe, you would expect it to be the same beer. Um, you know, if we sent out a, a brownie recipe and, and everybody brewed the same brownies, it'd probably be pretty similar. But because of the fact that we all use different equipment and the geometry of the tanks that we use are different, uh, the ingredients react differently during the brewing process, 
um, and create a different product. Now, sometimes it's you know just shades of different, um, but that same thing happens when we move from the pilot system to our big system because it's a, a different geometry, right? There's different um, factors involved in, in how the, the beer goes through the brewing process. So you have to um, sometimes play with that that scaling process to get it right, right? So, And how understanding is Sean of that scaling process for you as the lead brewer? <laughs> uh, I think Sean is super understanding. <laughs> no, but I mean, we, uh, we actually just did a, a scaled up version of a beer that we developed on the pilot system recently. Um, is a Mexican style lager, uh, signature ingredient of that beer is corn, flaked corn. Um, neither one of us are a big fan of that ingredient, but to be you know accurate to the style, it needs to be in there. Uh, we wrote the recipe, we brewed the batch. Um, neither one of us liked it at all, but we let people try it. Actually, it got a great response, um, but you know we knew that when we did the bigger batch, we were gonna dial the corn way back. Mm-hmm. So we did, and now the beer uh, while it's not 100% done yet, it seems like it's going to come out exactly as we originally envisioned it. So it, it kind of gives you that test um, you know, where you can springboard off that and say, okay, well, this is where I didn't really hit the mark. Let's fix that. Yeah. And it worked out great. And what is that process like of, t- take me through the step-by-step, and, and we had joked about before, might put people to sleep, but hey, they'll, they'll wake back up and we'll still be talking beer. Um, but take me through that step-by-step. You have an idea and you want your beer tasting like this, you know, how do you know what ingredients to put in and how much trial and error is there? And then how do you end up with the finished product? So there's, there's kind of two different scenarios, right? When we're brewing what we would consider a classic style, um, like an all beer, for instance, right? Um, we'll spend some time like doing research and, and reading about historical examples of the style and really trying to get a feel for what the beer should be. Um, And then we'll take that knowledge and we'll start to build a recipe that's really our interpretation of of that, what we learned during that research. Um, And um, that is kind of one avenue. And then there's the other avenue where we're brewing beers that aren't really a classic style, right? So um, you're familiar with the hazy IPA craze, New England IPA yeah. craze, right? Actually, was going to ask you about that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's not really a classic. I mean, IPA is a classic style, but the hazy IPA is not classic. And, and if you look across the landscape right now, there are some really off-the-wall stuff going on with that particular style right now. Um, in fact, we were just talking about one earlier today that um, was... Was it coffee and chocolate and um, vanilla beans, vanilla bean and, and, and milk sugar yeah. and yeah, too much. So it's just like, <laughs> and this was an IPA, right, with coffee and chocolate in it. And, yeah. Um, so that's a that's an area where we can just kind of go crazy, right? There really aren't any rules, and we think about, hmm, these flavors would go well together, and um, and if we manipulate the brewing process in a certain way, we can create some other flavors from the, the regular beer ingredients and, and po- hopefully pull that all together and do something that is actually drinkable and, and you know, doesn't taste like a muddled mess. So. 
Are there are there beer purists that would look at something like that and just be disgusted by people throwing all that stuff in beer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so at my at, you. <laughs> so yeah, I guess Sean. Uh, at my brewing school, the, the instructor there, he's he's from uh, UK, um, very much uh, staunch classic styles kind of person. So when we were up there. He's, uh, you know, lecturing about, he, he, this was in Vermont, which is kind of where the whole thing originated from. So he's railing against these beers. Um, but then in one of his lectures, he starts talking about English cask beer and all the special handling and how it doesn't last very long and all this stuff. And we had to point out to him, hey, all the shortcomings of this beer are kind of like the shortcomings of this English cask beer <laughs> that you're talking about how much you love. So... He was like, "Well, I'll have to think about that." Anyway. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's, I think it's, um, I think a lot of people, myself included, are coming around to that style. Um, it has created a weird culture uh, in the beer scene a little bit. Um, I wasn't super on board at first, but I'm coming around to where it's, it's not my favorite beer style, but it's one of my favorites. I, I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm anti-hazy beer, um, but, uh, you know, initially we spent a lot of our brewing lives striving to make clear, crisp, you know, finished products. And then all of a sudden we're just um, turning out, out the these, window. yeah, we're turning out these beers that look like orange juice, right? <laughs> and it's... It, it, it kind of goes against the grain when, you, when you've spent so much time trying to perfect your craft and then, and you, like you said, throw that out the window and, and let's do something crazy. So it took me a while to get on board, but um, now that we're doing it, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about some of the ones that we've done so far and, and you know, we just brewed another one this week um, that uh, I'm hoping is going to be the best iteration of, of that style that we've done so far. Um, you know, we have some friends at some other breweries, you know, like at Turning Point and, and Celestial um, here in DFW that, that make some really fine examples of that style. And, you know, um, we're not trying to become the next hazy IPA brewer, um, but we, we are proud of what we do. And, and if we're going to do it, we want to we make one that is um, at least representative of the style if you know what I mean so. for sure and it seems like you almost have to to keep up with the times and keep up with people what people want I I have, I have a cousin who uh, got a writing degree and you know she had dreams of writing for a newspaper and stuff but there's just not jobs out there and now she's making a good living but she's writing Instagram captions and it's probably not what she right. initially thought she yeah. was going to do but um, it's a way to make money and it's a way to keep ahead of times and so it's good that you guys are open to it, even though you might not have liked it right away. You have to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do want to point out that any background noise that anyone listening is hearing, we are recording at a culinary school, so there's cooking going on and stuff, so I apologize for that. Um, so so I, they I, are going to bring us some food in a later, right? I wish. I wish. <laughs> I actually got a good meal earlier. Um, <laughs> so uh, my friend's dad that I had mentioned earlier, um, you know, we were talking through this and he was giving me some some stuff to ask you guys. Um, he knows more about brewing than I do. Um, but in New Jersey, where, where we're from, um, you know, it's really, really hard not only to get a liquor license, um, but to open up a brewing company and uh, or a brewery. Um, so to ask you, Sean, did you face a lot of difficulties trying to get this open? Is it a little more lax here maybe? And then how long did it take to get approvals and stuff like that? 
So, in general, I mean, our the, the challenges that we faced were largely unrelated to the licensing process, right? Um, it is a um, rather involved process because we you have to get a state license and you have to get a federal license, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, federal license was relatively um, painless for us. Um, you know, it, it got processed much faster than I anticipated. I actually um, applied for it. Uh, way earlier than I needed to because I thought I'd heard horror stories of it taking months and months and months and they turned ours around in like 45 days like, oh great now I got to file a report every quarter and I'm not even making beer yet but um, yeah I mean there were some minor setbacks um, in the licensing process but nothing that um, that really caused us to lose any sleep most of our challenges related to the fact that we were converting a 35-year-old transmission shop into a brewery slash restaurant um, and, you know, tearing everything out of that until it was just four bare walls, um, replacing the pump plumbing and all the electrical. And um, that was the more challenging part for us. Um, and, and fortunately, one of my business partners, you know, that's what he does for a living. He's a design build guy. And, um, you know, he GC'd the, the whole project for us and um, really, you know, took a lot of that burden off of my plate and, and our other two business partners' plate so that we could focus on, you know, getting the beer and the, and the food ready to go. And, um, you know, I, I, he did a fantastic job. It, uh, the thing could, couldn't have turned out better in my mind. So. And you, um, you know, you, you mentioned it briefly, but how did you go about finding all the equipment and, and getting that all set up? How long did that process take and, and who were you looking to to buy all that stuff? So, great question. There's, um, there are dozens of equipment manufacturers in the United States and Canada. Um, you know, there are probably another dozen or so in China um, and, and in, in Europe as well. And so, um, it probably took nine plus months of just research and getting quotes and you know I built this big spreadsheet that was probably I don't know 20 columns wide um, that broke down the individual quotes that I I got from each manufacturer and kind of compared everything side by side and um, we went and visited breweries that were using the equipment that we were interested in and asked them a bunch of questions and um, so it's, it's just a, probably not unlike buying a new car, right? Yeah. If, if, you, if you go out and you're not really particularly set on a, on a model and, and you just want a new car, you're going to go out and compare you know, several different options and, and, and really kind of check off the pluses and minuses for those options and, and make a decision on, on, on the purchase that you make. We, we went through the same process. So, so Nick, uh, thinking about your uh, company, Cowtown Brewing Company, or um, you know where you're working, uh, you guys have eight beers on tap. Um, my favorites are the Rhinestone Cowboy and the Flux Capacitor. Love both of them; um, they're awesome. Do you have a favorite that you brew? And then uh, after that, can you guys both tell me a little bit about the Resilience beer? Um, <clears throat> well, it depends on whether you mean to brew or to drink. Um, yeah, give me both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so to drink, I the I love the beer that we're drinking right now, spalt beer, um, super low ABV. You know, it's four point nine percent alcohol by volume. Um, it's flavorful on the malt side, but not overbearing. Um, hops are present, but also not overbearing. 
Um, the Spalt hop um, is, I feel like it's fairly unique um, in, you know, its flavor profile. So I really enjoy drinking this beer. Um, brewing the beers, uh, you know, the process is largely the same with just small tweaks uh, here and there. Um, the recipes that I write uh, or that I, you know, form the base idea for, those probably have a little bit of a, a special place in my heart. Um, but, um, but we've actually been able to, you know, to come together on, on all the recipes and kind of uh, say, all right, well, here's kind of what I'm thinking about this, or here's what I'm thinking about this, and then, you know, kind of take the best of both worlds and, and put them together. Um, so they're all, they're all actually very fun to, to brew. Uh, we had a little bit of a lull for a, a short period of time because we were running up against space constraints and our cold storage and our fermenters and all that stuff. And uh, so we took a few weeks off brewing, not to mention we had holidays and stuff. So once that period ended and we actually got to get back to brewing, I was really excited uh, because other than drinking the beer, brewing the beer is the most fun part. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sean, if you'll tell me a little bit about the Resilience beer. Well, first of all, let's be honest. Our favorite beer to brew is the one that has the, the least sacks of grain. <laughs> so, we don't spend as much time Yeah, and which one's that? Yeah. Um, well, we have a few that are like that. <laughs> Just kidding. So the Resilience beer. Um, so in uh, earlier uh, this past year, um, the, the campfire in Northern California devastated the Paradise Chico area which happens to be where Sierra Nevada Brewery is located. Um, Ken Grossman, who founded Sierra Nevada and is one of the, you know, the godfathers of American craft beer, um, decided to brew a beer called Resilience um, and then donate all the proceeds from that beer to the Campfire Relief Fund. Um, But also had a bigger idea of sending out a call to breweries across the United States um, to brew the beer as well and, and do the same thing. So um, we immediately volunteered to do it after we found out what was what was happening. Um, and uh, was it, it was in November 22nd maybe? I don't know. Um, it was a Tuesday in November. 1,500 breweries across the United States ended up brewing this beer on the same day, which was kind of fun to be involved with. That's awesome. Um, and... All of the breweries that brewed it are donating 100% of the proceeds um, to the, the, the relief fund. Um, we, well, part of the deal was um, there's, there actually is a brewery named Resilience. Um, they agreed to license the name for this project, for this specific beer. Um, and part of that agreement was that none of the breweries that brewed it are allowed to distribute it. You can only get it in our tap rooms. Now, Sierra Nevada is actually distributing that beer. Um, but they're the only ones that are allowed to do it. So we are, um, we, we currently have it on tap. Um, it'll probably be on tap through February based on the, the, the sales volume that we're, we're, we're experiencing right now. Um, but it, it's been a great project. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to taste. Um, there were 14 breweries in DFW that, that participated. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to taste the other breweries' versions and compare them to ours. And we, we actually got a chance to try Sierra Nevada's the other day. Um, Taps and Caps here in Fort Worth has some in stock. And so we've been able to actually compare ours to, uh, uh, to Sierra Nevada's as well. And um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a lot of fun. So. 
So you were given the same recipe, yes, and so it all came out different, kind of like you were saying before. Yeah, they, they sent out the recipe, um, and they didn't really put a lot of rules around it. Um, what they did was they got some of the major uh, ingredient suppliers to agree to donate a good portion of the ingredients. Unfortunately for us, the suppliers that are involved, we don't use, so um, we reached out to our supplier, and they agreed to donate a portion of the ingredients. So. Um, we kind of split the burden of the overhead uh, on the brew, and um, um, yeah, it's just it's been uh, it's again a, a great project to be involved with, and um, the beer turned out fantastic. And you know, if you like that classic West Coast IPA flavor profile, um, that's definitely what this beer is. So, and that's I, it's just really cool that you know, fifteen hundred breweries across the country are yeah. coming together to do it. Um, and if you here in Fort Worth, that's that's really awesome. Um, so how many beers do you hope to one day get on your own location, um, and, and be able to serve on, on tap? So we have 12 taps. So the most we can serve at any one time is, is 12 different beers. Um, when we opened, I had about 18 different beers that, you know, I've brewed over the last several years on a regular basis. Um, the majority of those are seasonal, um, um, seasonal beers like our Oktoberfest or our Martin beer. Um, you know, we have a, a Scotch ale, we heavy that uh, is a is a winter beer. Um, we have a, a Doppelbach that is semi-seasonal. Um, we have a Maybach, which is definitely a spring, uh, early summer beer. So a lot of our beers are seasonal. Um, we have four or five that will probably be on regularly all year round. And then, you know, from there, it's just like whatever. The thing that I love about our model is because of our size and the fact that we are not signed up with a distributor, we self-distribute. We're not really beholden to, um, you know, somebody coming and knocking on the door every Friday wanting to fill a truck up with beer, which means, you know, we pretty much can brew whatever we want to brew. Um, In fact, you know, the last several weeks, Nick and I have been putting together a, a list of styles that we haven't even attempted yet, and um, you know we're going to be spending the next couple of months brewing a lot of pilot batches, and you know trying to find that next beer that is going to be a hit. So, sure, that's awesome, that's cool. Um, we've we've talked a lot about beer here, uh, but you guys aren't just a brewery; uh, you do have food as well. Um, how'd that idea come uh, come about that you want to have barbecue at your place? That's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I, when I originally had the idea to, um, or the desire to open a brewery, sorry, I'm not looking at the mic. <laughs> um, I, um, you know, my first thought was, let's do a production brewery, right? Just like everybody else is doing. And um, I had been volunteering at Petacolis over in Dallas for a couple of years at that point. And um, I'd had several conversations with the owner of that brewery about, you know, his experience and, and you know, getting to where they were at the time. And, um, you know, through those conversations, it kind of be- began to crystallize my mind that a brew pub might be a better way to go. So um, I had uh, the good fortune to meet uh, one of my business partners, uh, Jordy Jordan, who owned a uh, barbecue restaurant in Mansfield and um, was also is also really a, a craft beer enthusiast. Um, and we started talking about the idea and, and then, you know, as we began to talk, it just made a whole lot of sense. 
for a number of reasons. You know, craft beer and barbecue are two things that people will travel for, right? They'll mm-hmm. go out of their way to go try the, the, the good barbecue or craft beer that they haven't tried before. And the fact that at the time, um, you know, there wasn't really any place in DFW that was doing both. Yeah. Um, we do now, there is a, uh, another place in uh, Garland called Intrinsic, um, good friends of ours, and they do a fantastic job with beer and barbecue. But, you know, Fort Worth to Garland, they might as well be in another state. So <laughs> there definitely wasn't anything in Fort Worth, and we just, it was kind of a no-brainer. It's like, how do you not have this concept in, in a town like Fort Worth? So. Yeah, and I, I think it's so cool, and, and sorry if this uh, excludes you a little bit from the conversation, <laughs> Nick, um, but I think it's so cool because typically you don't get that beer made so well it, or the beer made so well and the barbecue made so well. Typically you get one or the other and you go to a place and you have great barbecue and a crappy beer or great beer and a crappy barbecue. So you having both is is just awesome. Um, who who do you use now um, for your barbecue? And, uh, you know, do you guys have a favorite menu item? Mine's Whoop. the crispy loaded potato, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> when you say, that's my wife's too, by the way. Um, when you say who do we use, what, what do you mean? Like who who's your uh, barbecue guy? Who's your head guy? So give Jordy, him a shout out. Yeah, yeah. Jordy Jordan. Um, oh, okay, so he's yeah. actually doing yes. it. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we have a obviously a crew that um, that works in our kitchen and um, but uh, yeah, all the recipes are Jordy's. He's developed oh, all the awesome. rubs and the sauces and um, you know he's been doing that at Big D for five years now and so through that process has has really refined his craft and. Um, you know, we're really fortunate to be able to have uh, that as a part of, of our operation. So have you had people that have come in that, uh, that sounds great, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, have you guys had people come in that have just had a meal and haven't even ordered a beer and you're like, you know, why aren't you getting my beer? It just happened yesterday, actually. Really? Um, it was funny. This is our uh, Kolsch, by the way, called Rhinestone Cowboy. It's one of my favorites. Um... So on, so we're closed on Mondays and Tuesdays because that's when we brew. And Tuesday afternoon, um, this couple came up to the door and they're like, I had to turn them away because we weren't open. And um, the lady was, she's actually German, and she made the comment to me as she was turning back towards the car. She's like, you are the brewery that does all the German styles, right? And I said, yes, ma'am. Definitely come back and see us. So. They were there last night. They came in last night, as promised, and they, I, I saw them sitting over at the bar, and I went over to say hi to them, and she had a glass of iced tea in front of her, and I said, have you had a beer? She's like, oh, no, I don't drink beer. I'm like, <laughs> well, the, why are we so concerned about whether we brew German styles? And it was kind of funny. but Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, does that frustrate you, Nick, as, as the lead brewer? Are you, uh, or are you okay with people just coming in to eat? Um, I'm fine with it. I don't think it happens all that often, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely fine with it. Uh, we have good barbecue. I eat the barbecue probably three times a week. Really? Uh, yeah. So if it's good enough that I can eat it three times a week and not get tired of it, then you know I think that that definitely says something about the quality of the food. Um, Nick actually likes it when people don't drink the beer because there's more for him. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that, I, is, that is also true. The first time I went, I couldn't wrap my head around... I was like, so you have a food truck in the back? Like, where's the food truck? Where's the truck? And I didn't realize that you guys were just making the barbecue. I, I think that's really cool and it really kind of separates you guys. Um, so just to kind of wind things down here, uh, if you'll tell me, let, let everyone know where you're located, where people can 
drink your beer, like where it's distributed, um, and where people can find you online. Yeah, so we are in um, what is now considered the uptown area of Fort Worth. Um, the neighborhood that we're in, we call it Rock Island. Um, we're on the far northeast edge of downtown, um, about four blocks due east of the old courthouse. So if you came east on Weatherford, um, about four blocks uh, right before you hit the bridge and, and leave downtown, um, we're over on the Belknap side. So most people are familiar with that Sonic Chevron that sits in between Belknap mm-hmm. and Weatherford. Um, again, on the Belknap side, across that intersection from the Sonic Chevron. And then where do you distribute? So we literally just started distributing late November. Um, we're in about 15 accounts now. Um, we've been on it at uh, TMP Tavern um, down in Lancaster. Um, just got on at World of Beer. Um, we're on a cool keg in Arlington. We're obviously on at um, our barbecue restaurant down in Mansfield, Big D Barbecue. Um, we're on at Beef O'Grady's down in Midlothian. Um, we are on at Bow Lounge in Dallas. We're on at Guitars and Growlers in Richardson. Um, we're on at both Wise Guys Pizzerias, the one in Grapevine and the one in Roanoke, uh, Main Street Bistro, Local Pint, and am I missing anybody? I don't know. That's quite a list. That is quite a list. Um, and then finally, is there, um, is, is it the small beer? If, if someone asks you, Hey, I want to know what you're all about. I want to try your beer for the first time. What are you recommending to them? This beer that we're drinking right now, the, the rhinestone cowboy, it's our number one seller. Um, it's the beer that most people that, um, are new or relatively new to craft beer gravitate towards um, you know, it looks familiar um, once they start drinking it they realize that it's not doesn't taste the way it looks yeah um, but uh, you know this and then probably our Vienna lager are, are the two uh, beers that um, people gravitate towards a lot so if somebody's asking me I'm pointing them in the direction of our Imperial Stout which just so happens to carry my name. Uh, but I actually didn't name the beer, so it wasn't uh, an ego thing. <laughs> I'm a stout guy, so that's, okay. that's where I'm pointing them. Yep. Yeah, is, is there any beer... Sorry, I know I, I just said we were winding down, but now I have a couple <laughs> questions coming to mind. Is there any beer that, um, you know, that's not your beer, but a specific type of beer that you particularly like drinking? For you, it's stout. What about for you, Sean? Um cold beer usually <laughs> I, i'm not super picky I, yeah. I i like almost every beer style you can think of um you know i, I like the big um ugly stouts i like big ipas um i like really simple clean pilsners um yeah i just um, I, i'm a fan of beer so hey, can't beat that yep. <laughs> well thank you guys so much for coming on nick sean i, I really appreciate your time and appreciate you coming out today Absolutely. Thanks for having us. That interview with Sean and Nick was brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Located on Campoe Boulevard, the Culinary School of Fort Worth is helping future chefs pursue their dreams every single day. You can reach out for more information or to schedule a tour on their website at csftw.edu. Or you can reach them by phone at 817-737-8427. Also, you can check them out on social media to see what's going on daily at the school at Culinary School of Fort Worth on Facebook and Culinary School FTW on Instagram.